He has given us His life to remind us that when we follow Jesus and lay down our lives, there is a resurrection gravity that will draw us into eternal life. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. This is one of the most exciting times of the year uh, for me and for a lot of you. It's planting season. Now, I know that we're in cotton country and we're not planting cotton yet, but just, just bear with me here. We are planting some things, and in part of the world where I'm from, there's some planting going on right now. So I think of this as planting season. And it's the time when all of our perennials are starting to wake up. You know, the things that we wondered if they made it through the freeze and they're, they're budding and everything is just beautiful. The roses are, are starting to bloom and all that good stuff. And so this is an exciting time of year. Planting season is a time, and we'll, we'll talk about it again maybe in cotton, <laughs> cotton planting season, uh, so many of you here, but planting season is a time of faith, right? If there ever was a time that you have to have faith, it's planting season. Every farmer is just crazy enough to go out every year and plant again, regardless of all the challenges, all the things that can and very often do go wrong, uh, all the unknowns that you have. And you just go plant anyways. And so this is a time of great faith. It's also a time, like I said, the perennials where they, they begin to come out and it just reminds us that some things are steady, that some things are solid, that there's life below the ground that we can't always see. Uh, we had a small plant that, that one of our daughters planted last year, and I didn't even know what it was. We were just kind of putting stuff in the flower beds. You know, that's part of the fun. You go to the store, you get some stuff. It says one thing. Maybe it's that thing. Maybe it's something else, you know. And you plant it, and you think, hey, that looks pretty good for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, June comes along, July comes along, and in our case, just torched it. This little plant just died, and I thought, well, we got sold something for a southern garden that clearly was meant to live in Maine, so that's not, that's not going to work. So like, I'm going to dig that baby up, but I didn't dig it up, and one of, you know the first thing that busted through the ground after we had that long snap of cold days? It was that stupid plant. It was the... It was the first thing. We just had it at the wrong time. So it's all awake, and it's like the greenest thing in our yard area, and it's just getting ready to put out these great white flowers. And so I'm all excited. But it's just, you know, it surprises us. That's what plants do. That's the law of the seed. That's what happens. And, um, you know, Jesus talks about this uh, various times, but in John's gospel, John loves to talk about this, loves to highlight this this emphasis that Jesus gives. And it sounds like this. In John 12, 23, Jesus answered them, the disciples that are discussing, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's telling them, I'm about to go away. There's going to be, you know, the whole cross thing. We're going to do this. The, the time has come, though, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. This is the law of the seed. This is the law of resurrection gravity. The word gravity is, is a great word. I, I can't tell you the physics of it. I, I can't do the whole thing. I, you know, 
Somebody in this room could do that for us, uh, but not me. But the definition of gravity, just the Webster's definition, is the force that attracts a body toward the center of the earth or toward any other physical body having mass. Okay, so for me, it's, more, it's easier to think about the law of gravity is anything that goes up has to come down. Right? That's what we learned that as kids. We don't have to have someone tell us that. We just know if we jump off the house, we're not going to fly like we hoped. We're going to come crashing down. So uh, that's the law of gravity. That's what gravity is. Gravity comes from the Latin word gravitas, uh, which means weight seriousness. So there's another sense in which the word gravity means, man, this thing that we're talking about today or this life that we're living, it has gravitas. So we say sometimes, man, I'm feeling some weight. There's some gravity to this. And when we live in the season of the resurrection, we are living in a season of weight, a season where there are powerful forces at work. The life that is in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is being infused into our lives, into the life of the church. And we, like the perennials, even sometimes when we wonder if we're ever going to give life again, <clears throat> we begin to break through the soil. We begin to wake up. And we wake up in new and fresh ways all the time. There is a force that draws us into the mystery of faith. The law of the the law of gravity says anything that goes up has to come down. The law of the seed says, or resurrection gravity, we're calling it today, says anything that is given away in love will be raised and live forever. That's what resurrection gravity is. And in order to talk about that today, our text is John 10, uh, which Ethan read for us earlier. John 10 11 through 18, and we're going to back up a little bit into, uh, to verse 7 just to kind of grab some of the context. If you're somebody who likes to follow along in your Bible or on an app or something, uh, John chapter 10, starting in around verse 11, <clears throat> we'll pick up there. I'm going to back up to John 10, 7. So John is giving us this great window into Jesus' teaching. Jesus is in the middle of a series of teachings and interacting with people where he is uh, what we have come to call the I am statement. So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Uh, and here he says, I am the door for the sheep. Okay, truly I say to you, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Now sheep and shepherds and that whole economy was just as familiar to you and I as just the most normal thing we could think about. Actually, some of you in this room have great experience with sheep. You could tell stories about sheep all day long and the nuance, so I imagine these passages take on a special meaning for you. I haven't spent a lot of time around sheep and goats, but just a little bit, so I can somewhat appreciate. Uh, but this goes back to Ezekiel 34. It goes back to the idea that God was a shepherd and he would send prophets and uh, religious leaders that would be shepherds that would take care of the people. And there was this idea, this hope that one day there would be shepherd that would come up in the line of David who would not uh, have the, the interest of the sheep. He would have the interest of the sheep in mind and not his own interests. And that would be this wonderful, beautiful shepherd that would come along someday in the line of David. So here Jesus comes up and he stands up among all of these well-versed Jewish people and he says, hey, everybody. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the one that stands in the sheep pen with all these dusty sheep, and I, I say who comes in, and I say who goes out. 
I know how to build a really good gate, and that's me. So I can let in who I want to let in, and I can kick out who I want to kick out. That's the magic of a gate, right? If we could get all of our gates to do that, we would be really happy. Uh, a lot of times our gates break under pressure, or we, get, we don't get them swung fast enough, and we all have bad memories about what our dad's going to say because of that. But anyways, Jesus says, I'm the door, I'm the gate of the sheep. And he says, everyone who came before me were thieves and robbers. Okay, this is an important detail. Everybody that came before me was a thief and a robber. He's talking about false shepherds. He's talking about the teachers and the leaders of Israel. He's talking about the people that have been leading God's people, and they're not doing their job. So he says they're thieves and they're robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them, thanks be to God, right? The sheep picked up on this, and they can smell a fraud. They can, they can understand when there's a shepherd who's there who's not doing what a shepherd's supposed to do. So uh, the sheep didn't listen, and Jesus says, I am the door, though, and if anyone enters by me, uh, he will be saved, and he will go in, and he will go out, and he will find pasture. The thief, so here it comes back, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So you see what he's doing? He's saying the thief ha and the robbers have 100% malice in mind. They, all they want to do is harm you. They're going to prey on you, and they're only caring about themselves. But he said, I'm over here. I'm the door of the sheep, and I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So a lot of times you hear this passage quoted and people are saying, you know, well, this is the devil. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, the devil does awful things, there's no doubt. But we hear about the devil later. He's the wolf in the story. This is not the devil. We can't just blame it on the devil. This is people that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. All right, this is the bad shepherds. The bad shepherds come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the thief has 100% uh, malice in mind. Jesus has 100% benevolence in mind. He's giving everything away that he has. He isn't keeping anything for himself. He's giving it all away for the sake of the sheep. I don't want anything from the sheep, Jesus says. I don't need the sheep to make me happy. <laughs> I'm not going to have a bad day if the sheep don't have whatever. I'm giving everything to the sheep. That's the nature of Jesus. So... He goes into our text that was read today, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Um, one of my favorite architectural features in our church campus here is our good shepherd window. Uh, I look at it all the time. I invite you to come in here anytime you want to pray and you just, you know, need to see something that inspires you. Come in here when it's a little bit dark and there's sunlight coming through this window. Uh, but it's a beautiful reminder of the nature of God among us. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then Jesus introduces another character in the story. He said, you know, so you've got these false shepherds, you've got the good shepherd, and then there's the hired hand. You know, and the hired hand's not bad. He's not 100% malice. He just, when it's quitting time, he's going home. <laughs> he doesn't own the sheep. He's not that worried about the sheep. He's paid to show up and do his work, and then he's out of here. And the life of the church, this is like a consultant, you know. <laughs> they, they come in, and they give us a 10-page report of what we need to change and what could, we could do better, and we're so thankful for the consultant, but when we're in the hospital, the consultant is back home in Dallas, right? That's the, that's, they're, the, they're the hired hands. They're not here to take care of us. And so uh, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and uh, the hired hand is, is not who you want either because when the wolf comes around, and the wolf will come around, and the wolf means business. He wants to scatter the sheep. 
He wants to come into the sheep pen and he wants to cause chaos. He wants to come into the church and he wants to tear up relationships and all that good stuff. So, but we're not going to let him do that. He said, the, the hired hand's not going to be helpful to us then. That's when we need the good shepherd. Because the hired hand, you know, he's, he's out at 5 o'clock and the wolf always comes at night. So, uh, we, we, need, we need somebody that's going to hang around when life gets hard. That's the shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not willing to lay down his life. He's willing to be there and do his job, but he's not going to risk his life. The good shepherd always risks his life for the sake of the sheep. Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And then this is a fascinating reference. Okay, listen to the number of times that you hear the word know. K-N-O-W, no. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you hear the refrain, I lay down my life for the sheep, I lay down my life for the sheep? And then he says, I know the sheep, and the sheep know me, just as I know the Father, and the Father knows me. There is no more special knowledge than the knowledge between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the most beautiful knowledge that you could ever unlock in the world and before there was a world. And do you hear what Jesus does with that special knowledge? This is like when Paul says in Philippians 2 that uh, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be held on to, but rather he gave it away. So in the same way, Jesus did not consider the special relationship with the Father, the special knowledge that he has between the Father and the Son, he did not consider that something to be held and kept to himself. But he's a good shepherd. He's here for the sheep, so he gives it away. And he said, now that same knowledge with which I know the Father, now I'm giving to you. Now I know you like that, Jesus says, and now you know me like that. Isn't that great? We get to relate to Jesus the way he relates to the Father. That's how far into the inner circle we get to go. We're invited into that place. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't go to somewhere else. The sheep pen is a good place to be in that respect. So, Jesus has invited us in. Here we are. And then this great circle back, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This is where the gate comes in, right? The gate is closed and the, se- and the sheep are safe, but there are more sheep that Jesus is thinking about. He's like, the church can't just be the church where, where the gates are closed and here we are. We have to protect ourselves from the, uh, from the wolves and from the bad shepherds. We got to do that. We got to close the gates when it's time to close the gates. But Jesus said, there's other sheep out there that haven't come to the sheep pen yet. And Jesus says, I must go after them also. I must go after them. I have to go after these sheep as well. I must bring them. They will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. Right? He's, he's, he's bringing it all in. He's like, hey, it's great that you Israelites are here and that we're all in this family together. But he's like, don't forget the Gentiles. Don't forget the Samaritans. Don't forget the people that don't know anything about God, that are in a frenzy because they're chasing the wrong gods. Jesus says, I've got to go out and get them too because they're my sheep. They're God's people, and i got to bring them home. You know, i got to go get them. It's like the great gather, you know. It's like the wild Mustang, you know, adventure where I'm going to go find them. Whatever canyon they're hiding in or whatever tree they're behind, I'm going to go and get them. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is one of those moments where I'm just so motivated to love Jesus. I love, I love this about Jesus. Jesus, in his perfect giving, is not a victim. Remember? He's not a victim. And he's reminding us here, no one forces me to lay down my life. I do it purely out of love. And I have complete authority to lay it down, and I have complete authority to take it back up. So if I lay down my life, it's because I love my people and I love those sheep. It's not because I was in a bind and I didn't know what to do. Jesus says, I'm doing it because I want to do it and because this is the nature of God. And there's this strange thing to me this week I've been wrestling with all week where, where Jesus says, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. And I'm like, that just doesn't sound right to me. That something's not sitting right there. I thought God loved Jesus because he was Jesus and he's his son. You know, we talk about that at Jesus' baptism. We talk about that at our baptism. We say, before you ever do anything in the kingdom, God says, you are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. Before you ever face temptation, before you ever do anything right or wrong, and we say stuff like, God, there's nothing you could ever do that God would love you anymore. There's nothing, nothing you could ever do where God would love you any less. And we affirm those things. Those things are true about God's love. We see that all through the scriptures, the steadfast love of God. So I'm like, what is this language about the Father loves me because I lay down my life? So I did what all smart people do when they have a conundrum. I, I discussed this with my wife yesterday. Um, but uh, we were driving home and we started talking about it, you know, bouncing ideas back and forth. And I'd just been thinking, you know, this is what... Jesus is saying, he's saying, God loves me. I mean, God's going to love me no matter what. If you're Jesus, he's like, I'm, I've got God's love no matter what. But he loves this about me. So it's kind of like when we tell our kids, like, I'm so proud of you for doing that thing. I love you so much. Now, it doesn't mean if they didn't take out the trash that we'd stop loving them. It just means in that moment, that act of sacrifice where they took out the trash without us asking and without anyone noticing, Knowing it was their sibling's job, but they were a little sick or whatever. Okay, I'm not going to make too much of the trash thing. But anyways, that's, that's because that happens. like, I love you so much. Again, not only because you did that, but that's part of it. And I think what Jesus is saying is, I, Jesus is saying, I took all of my divinity. I took everything. Remember Paul says in Colossians that, that the world was created through Jesus and in Jesus and for Jesus, and by Jesus, and he says so that Jesus would have supremacy in all things. So he would be numero uno in all things. So (laughs) Jesus is saying, God loves me because I'm numero uno, and I took all of that supremacy. Sorry, numero uno is not in my notes, but that's, I took that, and I laid it down. I gave it away. I took everything at my disposal, the universe, everything before there was a universe, and I give it to the sheep. I lay down my life. No one makes me do it. I lay it down because I love the sheep. I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying because in my humanity, I chose to perfectly reflect the nature of God. And by laying down my life, Jesus says, by being a shepherd, and standing in a dusty pen with us, Jesus shows us what God is like. If we want to know what God is like, we look at the shepherd standing beside us. His feet are all dusty, and he's standing there, and he's protecting us. 
and he's bringing other people in the pen too. That's the moment we understand God. That's how we know who God is. So, sometimes it's more helpful. Well, it's always more helpful uh, when you're trying to get your mind around something to have a story instead of just having kind of the, the, the didactic teaching part of it. And so, I want to rewind your memory here just a little bit to what happened right before this in, in chapter 10 in John's gospel. So, chapter 10 starts out with the whole thing, the good shepherd, talking about the sheep, how the good shepherd's got the one that's going to lay down his life. Right before this, in chapter 9, it starts out, you remember the story of the, the man who was, the young man that was born blind? And, um, you know, the disciples and everybody else are asking, like, why was this kid, why was he born blind, Jesus? Uh, riddle me this. Why was he born blind? You know, was it his parents sinned or did he sin or why was this the case? And Jesus is like, no, no one sinned. You know, this is not the deal. And so Jesus spends this time with this young man. He leans over and he, he, he picks up some mud. You know, he rubs it in his hands and he rubs it in the eyes of this guy. And this guy begins to see. And remember then the Pharisees start questioning the young man and they're like, well, wait a second. Who, how did you, you, you're the guy, you're the kid. Is this the same guy? And his parents are like, yeah, that's him. He's our son. And they say, well, how does he see now? He didn't used to see. And they're like, we don't know. Why don't you ask him? He's old enough. So they ask him, okay, hey, son, why, why, why you tell us how, you know, how did this work? Who did this? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. All I know is I used to be blind and now I can see, right? The greatest testimony ever. I don't know. I can't always explain it. I just know I used to be blind and now I can see. That's all the defense that's needed. And these, the Pharisees and the people that are supposed to be the good shepherds in the story, they, they just continue to question him and they're like, well, I don't know, this, this guy, oh, and by the way, he healed you on the Sabbath. Clearly, he's not from God or he wouldn't have healed you on the Sabbath because everybody knows you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And the guy, you know, they're just upbraiding the kid, and he, he just turns around and goes, look, I don't know what to tell you. I just know that no one has ever made someone see when they were born blind. So this guy has to be from God. And they're like, okay, that's it. That's enough. And so do you know what they did? They kicked him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. They kicked him out of worship. They said, you've got to go because you're speaking blasphemy. You clearly don't know what you're talking about. And in that moment, this is where the story picks up and Jesus says, hey, everybody, I'm the good shepherd. You know, and it's like he's showing them, he's showing the religious leaders, he's showing the hired hands, he's showing the thieves and robbers. He's like, this is what y'all are doing with people. That people that are, the kingdom of God is coming to people and you're kicking them out. He's like, and I came to let him in. I'm the door, and I'm, I'm telling you this is how it's got to work. So that story is the perfect example of we have the false shepherds, and then we have the good shepherd with how Jesus handles this. So I think John writes this story that we can see ourselves somewhere in the story. You know, maybe today you feel like you're the person that was born blind and you're just sitting there and, and nobody sees you. People have walked by you. You don't always feel welcome or whatever. And now Jesus has come and, and he's bringing healing in your life and you're just trying to sort it all out. Maybe you see yourself, maybe we see ourselves in the Pharisees and the false shepherds and sometimes we're more concerned about how it all worked and how it happened rather than whether or not we're gonna bring this person into the life of the community. Maybe we notice ourselves in the hired hand. Uh, somebody who's like, hey, we're happy to do a little bit of this as long as my hands don't get too dirty and I can go home and get home before supper. Um, 
Maybe we see ourselves in the call to be a good shepherd today. And we have the task as the church of building the gates and opening the gates, closing the gates, and it's really hard work. And sometimes it's easy to fall into the camp of those that are just, you know, we're standing there at the gate and we're just asking all these questions, you know, and we're making sure we've crossed our T's and dotted all of our I's. And, um, and then there are times where we're just like, we realize, man, if, if I was really a shepherd now and I realize this sometimes, I need to be out there. I need to go. <laughs> so I'm going to leave the gate with somebody else for a little while. I'm going to go find a sheep that is lost. And um, wherever you find yourself in the story today, it's really good news. It's really good news that Jesus is our good shepherd and he's already coming for us. He's already standing in the pen with us and he's already looking for us. If we've managed to dig our way out of the pen, crawl out of the pen, waller out of the pen, sneak out of the pen, however we got out, Jesus is still looking for us and he's coming for us. It's good to remember that Jesus won't tolerate the false shepherds that have found their ways into our lives and we've missed them sometimes. And that won't be the end of the story because Jesus will bring justice. He will keep the wolf away. And he has given us his life to remind us that when we follow Jesus and lay down our lives, there is a resurrection gravity that will draw us into eternal life today and forever and ever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.